Have you ever considered how much we miss in life because we're not prepared to experience it? How much do we miss in life simply because we're not prepared to experience it? Earlier in the uh, service with the children, I used uh, talked about John the Baptist and how he ate honey. And if you go to the grocery store, you're going to pass honey on the shelf. If you go to these country stores out here, you're going to pass honey all over the place. But have you ever thought about, as you pass by that, what honey has available in it? There's some internet research on honey. It is a natural energy booster. If you feel tired, worn out, draggy, get some honey. It is a brain booster. It actually enables cognitive development, and slows down dementia. It is a remedy for ailments such as cuts and burns. It can be used very effectively to help with that and to stop the growth of certain bacteria, great for sore throats. It's used in a lot of different capacities. It will help mix with milk to induce sleep. Now, if I start seeing you come to church on Sunday morning with milk and honey, I know what you're up to, all right? It is an immune system builder. Helps improve the digestive tract to fight off anything that works against us to get sick. It even is being discovered in research to help fight cancer. So when you pass by honey on the shelf, you're not just seeing a bottle of honey. You're seeing something that's got all kinds of abilities. They can help you in all kinds of ways. But most of us probably pass by honey without knowing that, and so we're not really prepared for what it can do. How many times do we pass by Jesus, whom I like to call the honey sent from God, and are not aware of what he can do? How many times do we get too used to Jesus? And don't live in anticipation of how he can change and impact and transform our lives. Of what he wants to do in our lives every day. I grew up in church literally from the time I was in diapers. And one of the things that I realized along the way is that I had to make sure I didn't get used to Jesus. That I didn't get too comfortable with Jesus. That I started not expecting him to do anything New in my life. He was just sort of there week by week. I had to learn to be prepared to experience him every day. And that's what John the Baptist came saying. If you turn with me in Mark's Gospel chapter 1. Mark's Gospel chapter 1. John the Baptist came with a mission from God. And his mission was to prepare the people for Jesus. Now, John had two basic missions. The first mission was to make sure that people got it right as to who Jesus was and who he would be, to get the information right. But John didn't stop there because John's second mission was not just to say, this is the info about Jesus, this is his resume, he's God's Messiah, he's the one that's been promised. It was also his call, his mission 
to say you've got to meet him. You've got to encounter Jesus. You've got to experience Jesus. You see, just getting information about Jesus doesn't impact or change our lives. It's only when we experience Jesus that it changes our lives. And what he was concerned about was that people not only hear about Jesus, but that they experience Jesus. And look, folks, the Lord doesn't want us just to come to church Sunday by Sunday and get more information about Jesus. That will not change us. That will not transform us. It's not for us to come to church and feel good about the fact that we heard another message from the Bible about Jesus. What Jesus wants for us, what the Lord wants for us, is for us to encounter Jesus to worship Him, to experience Him, and to be then changed by Him. Mark's Gospel, chapter 1. Let's look, beginning with verse 7 and verse 8. Speaking of John the Baptist, And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals... I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now the context of this passage we see from Luke's Gospel is that people were following John the Baptist in great numbers and they were listening to him and they said, man, this is a great preacher. They were coming to him and they were saying, John, would you baptize me? And he was keeping the River Jordan occupied as people were coming and being baptized. And people began to say, is this guy the Messiah? Man, he preaches so good. He's baptizing. We can tell he's from God. Is he the Messiah? And John came and he said, listen, I'm not the Messiah. I want you to understand who the Messiah is going to be. I'm baptizing you with water. But he's got a different type of baptism. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with the fire of God. Now, how how is John preparing them? How do we prepare for Jesus? Well, first of all, verse 7, we prepare for the experience of his majesty. Notice what John says, and my sermon outline is on the back of your bulletin, so you can follow along. Notice what he says. When he's come, he is one who is mightier than I am. And the Greek language there, it's not an indefinite. It could be translated, he is the mightier one. He is my superior. Now, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus. They had grown up together, known each other all their lives. And yet John came to the place to see that Jesus was so much greater than he was. He is the mightier one. He is my superior. Which, being a cousin, that took a whole lot to say, he's the mightier one. He is superior to me. We need to experience Jesus as greater than we are. We need to experience and understand his greatness Because I need to understand that he is so much larger than the world in which I live. He is so much greater than the problems that you and I face. He is so much greater than whatever came on the other side of the phone call that we get that changes our world. He is so much greater and beyond the doctor's report that we get that overwhelms us. 
He is so much greater than the things that happened to us when you were young or when you were growing up that you had no control over and you became the victim of. See, whatever it is that tends to define where we are in life and get us stuck in that place in life, Jesus is greater than that. Jesus is beyond that. And when I begin to understand and experience who Jesus is, the first thing He does is He reaches down to where we are in life and He has the power and the ability to pull us from that place and to take us to where He's got for us. Notice what John says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of His sandals. In those days, if you went into a person's house, there would often be a household slave. And the first thing the household slave would do is come up to you as the guest. He understood this as his role, and he would get down on his knees, and he would untie your sandals. That was the task, first task, of the household slave when a guest came into the house. John the Baptist is saying, when Jesus comes along, I am not even worthy to assume the role of a household slave in relationship to him. I'm not even worthy to get down on my knees and untie his sandals. Now, we keep our feet pretty clean this day and age, and, you know, we got the nice shoes and all that kind of stuff. But back in those days, people walked everywhere they went. They didn't have automobiles, needless to say. You really didn't have a horse or even a donkey if you weren't, didn't have some money. And so these folks walked everywhere. So when you got down to untie somebody's shoe to throw the latch on their sandal, you were dealing with stinky feet. You were dealing with feet that had dust all over them. It was dirty work. John the Baptist is saying here, I'm not even worthy to get down and smell his stinking feet. He is so great and he is so awesome that I'm not even worthy to throw the latch and let the, his dirt get on me. I'm not even worthy to get down and see his feet which tell the journey of everywhere he's been. Do you see how that transforms our prayer life? When we go to prayer, Jesus, instead of, Jesus, would you do this for me? And Jesus, would you do that for me? And Jesus, would you do the other? I'd rather approach him and say, Lord, I want to just come to you and say that I'm not worthy to be in your presence. I'm not worthy to see your journey. I'm not even worthy for the dust that would be on your feet to come up in my face. But I want to thank you that even though I'm not worthy, you have called me here. And even more, Jesus, you came to me. In my unworthiness, you came to me. Folks have said to me through the years as a pastor, Pastor, I just, I can't pray. I'm not worthy to talk to the Lord. None of us are worthy to talk to the Lord. None of us are worthy to pray. But that's not the issue. The issue is that Jesus came to us in our unworthiness. And how do we respond? Like John, to worship him, to recognize his greatness. And notice the humility here. The greatest enemy we have in our relationship with the Lord is pride. Pride. Pride is what robs us of our worship. Pride is what causes us to say, Lord, I'm just not going to surrender to you and yield to you. Pride is what causes me to think that I can pretty much get through the day without him. Pride. But humility 
is the way to connect with it. Humility is the way to prepare to encounter Jesus and engage Jesus. And what happens here is that John the Baptist, when he says, I'm not unworthy to untie his shoes, I'm not worthy from the dust of his feet to fly up in my face, he's basically saying, I'm choosing to be humble. His majesty compels humility. And John the Baptist is realizing when he says this, that humility is the key that opens the door to Jesus' ministry of baptizing us in the Holy Spirit. It is the experience of His majesty that produces humility in me that opens me up for the baptizing ministry that Jesus has. When I get over my sense of my personal greatness and become overwhelmed with His greatness, then we are touched and transformed by the greatness of Jesus. Now, notice how He's preparing them for His empowerment. Verse 8. He says, when He comes, He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, who is the Holy Spirit? And when does this baptism take place? The Holy Spirit, first of all, is a person. And what we call the Trinity. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, when I was growing up, they used to use the expression about the Holy Spirit. They said He's the third person of the Trinity. I don't like that expression for this reason. I used to think of God this way. God the Father was pretty much 100% deity. The Son of God was about 90% deity. And the Holy Spirit, well, He was running back and kept trying to catch up with about 75% deity. And that was sort of the idea that I understood about this third person of the Trinity. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The idea of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is that He is 100% deity. He is as much God as God the Father, as much God as God the Son. So you have Father, Son, and Spirit, all three, 100% God. Now, in our minds, we struggle to understand that how can you be three and how can you be one? And my response to that is simply this. If I could understand everything about God, then God would be no bigger than the space between my two ears. Because we struggle to understand and comprehend who God is, particularly as Father, Son, and Spirit, is just proof that God is so much greater than we are. Now, it says here that He is the Holy Spirit, 100% God. When does this baptism of the Holy Spirit take place? First of all, the word translated baptize here means to dip or submerge something. So what He's saying is that when Jesus comes, He's going to submerge you in the work, the ministry, the person of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that He's just going to throw a little Holy Spirit at us, okay? It says that He is going to submerge us, and notice it doesn't say that He's just going to submerge certain people. Jesus came to baptize all of us in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just a select few. He came to submerge all of us in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just a handful. Acts 11 and verse 17. The baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs at the time of salvation. When you and I trust Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is when we are submerged, we are baptized in the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, we may not realize that's what's happening, but I tell you, when we come to Jesus, 
He does a whole lot that we don't realize that it's happened. We got the rest of our lives on this side of heaven and into the rest of eternity to discover everything that he does when we trust him as our Lord and Savior. But one of the things that he does is he baptizes us in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Acts 11, verse 17. Now, what does that mean? I can't give it to you all today, all right? So I'm going to hit some of the highlights. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaks of cleansing. Notice that he is called the Holy Spirit. When he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, he is going to seek to make us holy like he is. And part of that is going to be that he is going to begin to cleanse us. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is first and foremost a cleansing process. Baptism is the idea of being submerged in water, cleansing. Hence, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a cleansing process. Now, how does he cleanse us? He cleanses us from sin. And the problem we have is sin. with sin is we get so used to it. And what he cleanses us from in relationship to sin is the aspects of sin that we think that we just can't live without. He's taken out of our lives everything that he knows. He knows is unnecessary and blocks a relationship with him. When you and I ask for the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit to be released in our lives, watch out when you pray that, because what God is going to begin to do is remove from our lives everything that we have been leaning on and relying on instead of leaning and relying on His guidance and His power. Because when He gets me to stop leaning on that and start leaning on Him, then I begin to walk and live in His power, the power that He has for me. Now, one of the problems we have with sin is that it becomes part of our identity. It's who we think we are. If we answer the question, I am what? I am what? And what he wants to do is change that sentence to I am someone in Christ. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of changing our identity. Who am I? I am someone in Christ. If you read through the epistles of the New Testament, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, etc., you're going to see the phrase, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, used over and over and over again. Because what Paul is saying, Paul is saying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, our identity has been changed. Who are we? We are people in Christ. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You can't control the wind. You can't manipulate the wind. And when we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is uncontrollable. So if you and I want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, we want to walk in the reality of it. One of the first things we have to do is say, Lord... I am not going to try to control what you do in my life. I am not going to try to manipulate what you do in my life. And as the body of Christ, we're going to say, Lord, would you fill our church and with the power of the Holy Spirit of God work in our church, then what we have to do is step back and say, I'm not going to try to control what God does in the church. And let me tell you what you're going to discover The Spirit of God, when He begins to work among us, will usually make us very uncomfortable. And the tendency is to want to quench what the Lord's doing because it makes us so uncomfortable. 
And in order to work and live in His power, we've got to be willing to say is, Lord, I'm going to take you. I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And I just want to walk in your power, Lord. And as uncomfortable as I may get, that is just a way for me to be more dependent on you and what you want to do in my life. Now, the Spirit, when He fills us and controls us, empowers us. And I want to quickly run through some ways that He empowers us. Number one... He empowers us by uniting us to Jesus. The first way He empowers us is uniting us to Jesus so that there's no set of circumstances that I am in that I am not close to Jesus. I am not close to Jesus because I feel like I'm close to Jesus. I am not close to Jesus because I do the right things to be close to Jesus. We are close to Jesus because the baptism of the Holy Spirit is His way of uniting us to Jesus. See, so often what we focus on is whether we're close to the Lord or not, is how life is going or how we feel. Do I feel close to Jesus? But when we trust Jesus as our Savior and He baptizes us in the Spirit, He unites us to Jesus. So my being united to Jesus and being close to Jesus is not dependent on my feelings or my circumstances. It is dependent entirely on the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what I live in. That's what I rest in. Secondly, in this uniting process, He unites us to each other. He baptizes all of us in the Spirit, so He unites us to each other. What unites us to each other is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not whether I agree with you. It's not whether I enjoy worshiping the same way you worship. It's not whether you look like me, smell like me, talk like me, or however, etc. What we tend to do when we look at each other is we tend to come up with a chart, and the more the other person checks off the chart, or we can check it off for them of how they are like us, then the more we think we can get along with each other. What happens when we start realizing we can't check off too many things, and we checked off some stuff, we've got to realize we've got to back off from the things that we checked off. Then we start dividing from one another. It's not how much we are alike that unites us. It is the work of the Holy Spirit that unites us to one another. And if we are living and working in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are going to get along with each other. It doesn't mean we're going to see things directly. It doesn't mean we necessarily like each other. But it does mean that we will find a way to get along with each other because the Holy Spirit of God is going to give me love to love that person with and give them love to love me back with even if we can't stand each other otherwise. One of the things I always tell our mission trips when we get going is I say, okay, we're starting off, usually we start our shrimp project on Sunday. I say by Tuesday, we're going to be on each other's nerves. You're going to be tired. You're going to be out there working in heat. You're going to have just enough to where you can disagree with each other on something. And so you're going to be getting on each other's nerves. It's not going to be like Sunday morning where you're sitting in a nice sanctuary with the air conditioning blowing and listening to wonderful music, got a great preacher and all that. You're going to be in a position at that point where you're going to be grating on each other's nerves. And that's when you've got to be dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit to work in you and among you and connect with each other. Folks, when we bump heads with each other, the first thing we need to do is not concentrate on the bumping of the head or how much they hurt us when we bumped heads with them, but rather saying, Lord, I may not agree with them, they may not agree with me, we may not see to eye to eye, but I want to ask you to create a bond between us 
to recognize that you have united us, Lord. Second, the Holy Spirit of God energizes, engages our worship. We were baptized by the Holy Spirit to worship the Lord. If you read the book of Revelation, it tells us that if we're going to do one thing in heaven, it's going to be we're going to worship. I like to say the work of heaven is worship. The play of heaven is worship. This is just just rehearsal for what's coming. Because it is the work of the Holy Spirit to engage us in worship and to enable us in worship and to energize us in worship. One of the you know, big controversies we've had in, the, in evangelical churches for the last 25 years is the style of worship. Are we going to be traditional? Are we going to be contemporary? Are we going to be this? Are we going to be that? Are we going to do a band or organ or whatever? And the problem is that in all of our debates on style, we have lost the essence of worship. The essence of worship is not the style, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care if we're singing a hymn perfect or got a band knocking us out. If the presence of the Holy Spirit of God is not at work in the church, then we have missed what it's all about. Jesus said in His Word, you will worship me by the Spirit in truth. He did not mention a style. And He knew what He was talking about when He talked about how to worship Him. And so if you and I are going to worship, we have got to worship in the power of the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to it to energize our worship. But if we don't have the presence of the Spirit when we worship, our worship is dry and it is boring. And so many times we say, well, and I went to the worship service today and it was, it was dry or it was boring or whatever. Well, before we get all critical about the worship service, maybe the question we need to ask is, did I ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Did I ask the Spirit of God to engage our service, to engage me, to energize me in worshiping Him? Years ago, over in England, they were experimenting with worship styles. And there was a, a guy over there that in the church, they decided they weren't going to use any instruments in worship for about a month. No instruments at all. Because they felt like they were focusing so much on instruments and so much on style, they weren't focused on the Lord. And at that time, they wrote a song. And the song went something like this. I'm getting back to the heart of worship. And it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. I'm sorry for the thing that I have made it. Because it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. And when we worship in the power of the Spirit, it is all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. The Spirit empowers us not just to know about God, but to know God. It is the work of the Holy Spirit to enable us to encounter God. You see, the purpose of reading His Word and studying His Word is, is not for me just to know more information about God. It is to really get to know God, experience Him. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit to produce inner healing inside of us. He talks here about being submerged in the work of the Spirit. Part of that submerging 
is God reaching deep down on the core of who we are and healing us on the inside. My mother worked in dentistry for years, and she used to tell me about people who would come in with what they called a dry socket. Anybody ever had a dry socket? I've never had one, but she told me they came in with pain on top of pain, and they did let the dentist do whatever they wanted to do. A dry socket is when, according to what she told me, you do work in the gum line, and the healing takes place at the top, and you get a small pocket of air that gets caught between the healing up here, down here. So you're healing from the top up instead of from the bottom up. And when that pocket of air gets lodged in your gum, is, she says, like somebody chiseling away at you, it hurts so bad. You see, a lot of times what we settle for in our healing, inner healing, is a dry socket. We don't let God heal us from the bottom up. We just ask Him to do a little bit of work on the top. Because we're not really interested in God getting deep down inside of us and doing the work that has to be done. And what we end up with is a dry socket. And we have a lot of inner pain because of that. And sooner or later, it explodes outside of us. When he says that he submerges or baptizes us in the Holy Spirit, the idea there is that God wants to work a work of healing in us deep down on the inside, at the core of our being. And that is particularly true in the place of forgiveness. He baptizes us in His power, the power to forgive. In the years that I've been a pastor, I have discovered that the number one place that I see bondage and struggle in Christians' lives is at the place of forgiveness. You know, I can walk in here this morning and I can look good and I can make everything look good to you and deep down on the inside of me I can be holding grudges. I can have somebody in my life that I'm not forgiving. I refuse to forgive and that's just going to block my whole relationship with the Lord. It's that dry socket there. He forgives us to give us the power, the healing to forgive somebody else. I want you to think about Jesus as he hung on the cross. They were spitting on him, they were crucifying him, and his words were, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. How did he say that? Because Jesus had been empowered by the Spirit to forgive them. And the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus to forgive those who were crucifying Him is the same Holy Spirit who will empower you and me to forgive others. The morning that my grandfather died, I was in between college and graduate school. We'd been called to the house a wee hours of the morning and told the grandfather had passed away. My grandmother was very upset. They'd been married at that point about 50 plus years. And I remember as the morning drug on, it was probably around 6 o'clock in the morning, I walked out into the backyard and my dad walked out there with me. And dad, needless to say, was 
shedding some tears with his dad had passed away. And my parents had broken up years before, and the relationship between my dad and I had, had been terrible. And I remember as I walked out in that backyard, the Lord spoke to me that morning and said, you need to apologize to your dad. And I basically told the Lord he was crazy. There was no way I was apologizing to my dad. My dad had walked out of our home. My dad had done some raunchy stuff, so my dad should be apologizing to me. And as I stood there in that morning, the Lord just spoke to me as clear as he could be and said, listen, if you don't ask for his forgiveness and you don't try to make this relationship right, my anointing on your life and ministry is going to go. This isn't just about the next minute. This is about the journey of your life and ministry. So what are you going to do? David, in and of myself, could not forgive him and could not ask for his forgiveness. But the Spirit of God gave me what I needed in that moment to look at him and say, would you forgive me for what I have done? The issue wasn't my dad getting straightened out. The issue was me getting straightened out. And in that moment, I got liberation. I got freedom. I experienced a breakthrough in the power of the Spirit that set me up for the rest of my life. John said, Jesus has come to prepare us to know the power of God, even to know the power of God to forgive. Let's pray. Lord, we want to ask you to help us find and to walk in the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit, to worship you and your majesty. And God, wherever it is in our lives that we need your empowerment to know that, even if that means, Lord, forgiving somebody else that doesn't deserve our forgiveness, ask for our forgiveness, but we need to forgive them and you'll give us the power to do that. Lord, to experience the healing that we need to experience deep down on the inside. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you need to give your life to Jesus, then as we sing in just a moment, I want to encourage you to come down the aisle and I would love to to pray with you about giving your life to Christ. If you're here this day and you just need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you need to ask for God's empowerment to forgive somebody, then I want to encourage you to do it. If you need to leave here today and go to somebody and ask for their forgiveness, then ask for His power to do that. And if in this service you need to go to someone that's in this room and ask for their forgiveness, then ask for the Spirit to give you the power to walk to them, even if you need to do it during the invitation. Lord, have your way with us in these moments, we pray. In Jesus' name.
Amen.